Hi, this is Chief Michael Wynn of the Pittsfield Police Department. And Lieutenant Gary Traversa. The Pittsfield Police Department is encouraging anyone interested in becoming a Pittsfield Police Officer to register for the 2021 Municipal Police Officer Exam. As a civil service department, this is the first step required to join our team. We are seeking motivated, eligible individuals who desire a rewarding and adventure-filled career serving the residents of Pittsfield. Detailed application information is available on the web at mass.gov backslash civil service. The application deadline is April 20th with a late registration window open until May 4th. Exam fees range from $100 to $200. Candidates who pass the exam are placed on the eligible list and ranked by score. The Pittsfield Police Department will use that list to fill vacant positions in 2021 and 2022. So take the first step in joining the Pittsfield Police Department by going to mass.gov backslash civil service. Headquarters to all units. Headquarters to all units. All units stand by for On Patrol with the PPD, airing now on WTBR 89.7 FM. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. It is Friday, April 16th, 2021. My name is Mike Wynn. I am one of the co-hosts and co-producers of this usually weekly radio program, and I'm also the chief of police here in the city of Pittsfield, Massachusetts. I'm joined in studio this morning by Lieutenant Gary Traversa, Cops Bureau Commander. Good morning, Lieutenant. Good morning, Chief. And Officer Ansi Jumo, who is uh, one of our newest, newest certified full-time police officers. He's been on the program before as a student officer and as a field training probationer, but he's joining us on solo patrol today. Lieutenant, I know we've spoken about it for the last couple months, and I thought we weren't going to have to speak about it again. And I know I sound like a petulant child, and I'm sorry, but... This weather can kick rocks. I'm I'm just done. <laughs> I'm just done. Right? I put the last of the snow shovels away last weekend. I was talking to the guy who plows my yard yesterday when I was up in North County. He stored the plow last week. It's his fault. Come on. To those of you who've already put your boats in the water, your <laughs> lawn furniture, you know, out in the lawn or on the deck, we blame you. I just... <laughs> I'm done. Right. I don't know if it's just the length of this winter or, you know, the winter on top of the year long with the pandemic, but I am done. It's going to come as, or it's going to leave as quick as it came, though. It, I know, but I'm sorry. I'm over. I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm done with this rant. All right. So a couple uh, news items. Um, just just very briefly, because I really want to get to the conversation with Officer Jumo. Um first big news item uh, we have a new superintendent of public schools superintendent joe curtis um a decision that was not without controversy i'm not going to discuss the controversy uh just congratulations mr curtis uh, i've known joe a long time since he was the i don't even think he was the principal at the time he i think he was actually on staff at morningside when captain trepani and i had the micro beat um, and he's come up within the district, and he's got a lot of experience and long history with the district. So congratulations and good luck to him. 
in other news uh you can see the you can see the story on the front page of today's eagle there's several video clips and uh photo montages you can check it out uh, berkshire county law enforcement pittsfield police department were out in force yesterday in the community of adams and, and north adams and elsewhere in uh berkshire county to support the services and the funeral for fallen capitol police officer um evans and i got a couple messages this morning one from colonel grady uh, from the sheriff's department who was running emergency management operations and assisting with communications in support of that and also from chief kelly uh, the chief in adams uh, just you know thanking us for our support um you know we we had several many many personnel assigned to that in a variety of tasks and it, it was our honor and privilege to work to support that in uh you know in support of his family it was heartbreaking and i don't know what it is about law enforcement funerals um it it, it is almost a certainty that one way or the way, other the weather's going to be bad it's either going to be the the middle of summer and we're going to be worried about heat casualties or we're going to be cold and wet um and there was hundreds of law enforcement officers from all over uh, New England and beyond who um, braved that weather in a show of support and solidarity. Uh, Mass State Police were incredibly well represented. And as usual, uh, their, um, their drill sergeants uh, organize, you know, get everybody where they need to be and moving in order. And, you know, we all practice drill and ceremonies in the academy, but that's not something most of us do in our day-to-day -day activities. So it's always helpful and useful to have them uh, take charge of that. And they did an outstanding job, as they usually do. Uh, the entire state police command staff was up there um, for pretty much, you know, more than half of a day. Uh, we had our motor units assisted uh, with the sheriff's department motor units, um, motor units from Piver Valley. Boston Police Motor Unit, MBTA Motor Unit, um, you know, it, it just, it, it was tragic circumstances, but it speaks to the um, brotherhood and sisterhood of law enforcement. And I have, we've had amazing opportunities in the last year and a half to show what Berkshire County can do and does do when we come together in a spirit of collaboration. But yesterday just, um, it, we displayed that for the entire nation to see. Um, so rest in peace, Officer Evans, and uh, the town of Adams can, can start to get back to some degree of normal because that town was shut down yesterday. Um, you know, to the officers who are on the motors braving the weather, uh, I'm going to give a particular shout-out. Um, special response team had the security and dignitary protection mission for that, uh, for those guys who are... Um, up on the wood up on the roofs or in the woods you know god bless you too thanks for keeping everybody safe um so let's get on with it so officer jumo i'm not sure if you know this um you're here today because sergeant madalena threw you under the bus that's um you know just gonna set the stage with that <laughs> and so you've been on the program before it's been a little while Yes, sir. I think the last time you, we were just talking about it before we got on the air, you and I were assigned over at Second Street. You were, uh, you and your classmates were in the academy. You had to go virtual for a little while, and because of the workforce protection measures in place, we couldn't have you report to Thirty Nine Allen. So we had you come over and and uh, co-locate with us. You helped us with our emergency management activities and our PPE procurement and distribution, and and in between doing all that stuff, you did all your virtual classes. Uh, and then 
eventually you got to go back to some type of in-person learning at the academy uh and so when you were on the show is that the last time we haven't had you did you come on during field training no that, that was it. okay no. um so you know when you came on when you were in the academy we we got to know a little bit about you you told us kind of about your 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 background and your previous work experience and so we don't have to get into that in detail although i would like to touch on it a little bit um but the reason that sergeant madalena suggested that we have you on and i don't know how much time we're gonna we're gonna spend on this i i think we could probably go down this rabbit hole and and dedicate the entire hour but so sergeant madalena had a conversation with you recently uh in which you were talking about your upbringing uh and for our viewers and listeners at home, uh, if you didn't see or listen to or see the program where Officer Jumo was on before, uh, Officer Jumo is not Native American born. He is Haitian, right? Uh, so an immigrant and uh, fluent in several languages. I'll let him talk about that. But Sergeant Madalena was just blown away and um, so impressed with how you described your perception of law enforcement coming from a different cultural background. And he wanted us to spend a little time um, listening to your story and, and share some of that conversation with our listeners and viewers. So take us back again, um, you know, tell us, because we didn't spend a ton of time about your upbringing. So tell us about growing up in Haiti and what brought you to the United States. Well, I grew up in a household with eight uncles, uh, they were all law enforcement, and uh, I got to see, I had to grow up with them. It was a very structured, family-oriented uh, uh, my house. There was cops all the time. Uh, discussion of politics. I remember one of my uncles used to tell me that uh, police officers are so vital and security is so vital to a nation. Uh, I remember those words uh, very vividly, him saying that, uh, what good is having a million-dollar house if you can't go outside? Or if you're insecure to go outside. And uh, that was kind of what my uh, bringing was like. Uh, there was turmoil uh, throughout, the, throughout the country. And uh, we had so many officers in my house. Uh, if you were having a hard time or if you were having any domestic issues in your household, uh, the moment you can come over to my house, it would, it would basically stop. It was like a safe haven to a lot of people. Uh, I always wanted to be an officer because I wanted to protect and serve uh, those who can't defend themselves or who can't protect themselves. So I would like to think that most of our listeners and, and hopefully most of our viewers don't need this type of civic slash geopolitical lesson, but I'm not confident that that's the case. So let's just let's just even wind it back to a, a more detailed level. Tell our viewers and listeners where Haiti is and, and what the country is like. Uh, Haiti is close to the Dominican Republic. It's just one island in the Caribbean. And uh, it's uh, grew up there. We, we used to have one of our uh, presidents. So the, the, the country was pretty much very, very stable. And uh, ever since, I think, uh, 92, uh, left and came here around 92. And that stability has basically disappeared. I mean, it's overrun by bandits. And uh, there's basically no law enforcement uh, the military has been disabled, and uh, the country has been basically overrun by, by rebels. So uh, I, I wanted you to share that. I, I've never been to Haiti. It's, it's someplace that uh, has, has always been on, on my list of 
um, of places to, to visit. Um, but I, there's only, there, there were two times in my history that the idea of going, actually going to Haiti um, were, was actually a possibility. Um, once was when I was still in the military and uh, the U.S. Navy in particular had to provide humanitarian relief, right? So I, I want to believe, I think it was an earthquake. The island was devastated okay. by an earthquake. And, um, and it was so devastating that we actually had to move. It was, in, I, it was the ship that I did my midshipman cruises on. We had to move a U.S. Navy ship into one of the harbors and they were actually able to connect the water system from the ship to the island in order to provide drinking water and provide power to the island mm -hmm. and use the medical facilities on the ship to provide hospital facilities. Because there wasn't any of that stuff that we take for granted. Water, electricity, or medical aid, right? So we did that. And the second time I considered going to Haiti, I was actually looking at, I was new in law enforcement, but I was looking at exploring different options. And one of the options I was looking at was joining the UN as a UN police officer. And I was shocked to find out there was a UN police mission in Haiti. Like usually you had to go to like, you know, sub-Saharan Africa or something like that. But here was a place in the Western hemisphere that was so unstable that the UN needed to go. Um, so we are not talking about, it, this isn't like, you know, going and, and visiting um, St. Thomas, right? I mean, Haiti, Haiti has been through some stuff. Right. And as you said, it, it's been unstable and it's taken over by rebels. So you left in 92? 92, yes, sir. Was that right around the time that the previous regime fell? Correct. And that's why you left? Well, yes, ab absolutely. Okay. Uh, because there was no stability, there uh, was no security. Uh, it was a constant war between the rebels and the government. Uh, my mother came here first and provided for the entire family. And it was the best decision for us to come over here and uh, have a second chance. What about your uncles who were police officers? Uh, I have a few uncles that uh, that moved to Florida, uh, but I have a few that's that's still staying in the, in the island right now. But they're not law enforcement anymore. Not anymore. They're, they're older now. <laughs> are are they are they at risk because they served as police officers in the prior, prior regime? No, because uh, it, it's so long ago. Uh, Nobody knows. They were, yeah, no, no one knows, basically. But immediately after they were. Yes, yes, yes. So, you know, I'm sure it wasn't like instant overnight, the fall of the regime, and then everything stopped. So these, these men are going to work. They're police officers. They're protecting mm -hmm. the community. People in your community know that if something's going wrong in their home, they can come to your house, and, and that's going to be a safe refuge. And then eventually government disintegrates They're, they don't have their jobs anymore correct but they still live in this community and now because of their previous employment they're at risk they're at risk but they moved to a different part of the island okay. uh, because police officers right now are being constantly targeted in Haiti and uh, it's pretty bad so with that as your background your mom comes first to take care of the family mm -hmm. and then the rest of you follow absolutely and where did you end up well, I think we moved to several places. Uh, I lived in Florida, in Orlando for a little while, and then uh, Illinois, uh, and then come to Massachusetts. Cause Where in Illinois? Uh, Burlingbrook. How old were you when you were in Illinois? I was about 12. Okay. Yeah. And then to Massachusetts? Uh, probably 15, 16. Several, and several communities within Massachusetts. Absolutely. I was in High Park. Uh, I went to High Park High School for a little while, then West Raspberry High School. 
and whole kind of different colleges in the process. All right. So I should have I should have spoken about this before we kind of made the journey from Haiti to the United States. Uh, so for our viewers and listeners at home, uh, you're very articulate and you speak English very well, but English is not the, the native language of Haiti. Right? Correct. So what did you grow up speaking? Uh, I grew up speaking probably three languages all at once, uh, French and Spanish and Creole as well. And I wanted to parse that up because you, you are fluent in French, you are fluent in Spanish, I would assume you're fluent in Creole, but I don't think that we have any occasion to put your Creole work to use right now, or your Creole skills to work right now. Uh, you're fluent in English. Absolutely. What other languages do you speak? Uh, English, uh, Creole, Spanish, and uh, French. Right. And then uh, there's an African language called Tree. I'm pretty much decent with that. Okay. Right. So I just, I, I think that's important. Right. <laughs> um, all right, so you, you end up in... Massachusetts, uh, did you say West Roxbury? Yeah, I went to High Park High School Hyde Park. In, 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 in Boston and then West Roxbury. Okay. So what was high school like for you as a Haitian immigrant? Uh, my first high school in High Park was, was, was challenging. Uh, at, at, at the time that I went to High Park High School, uh, the transition from, from my background uh, it wasn't easy at that time. Did you speak English when you got here? Uh, no. So you had to learn English once you got to the States. Correct, and the culture as well. And so you, But you had been in the States for a couple of years before you got to high school, so some time in Florida, some time in Illinois. Did you speak English when you started high school? Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right, so you're in high school in Massachusetts. Uh, your transit, and high school is is difficult transformational time for anybody. Right. But you're, so you have to... You know, you got new language, uh, you got to learn new culture. Uh, what was the demographic makeup of your high school? Like how many, um, or one, how many other Haitian immigrants were there and, and how many other people of diverse cultural backgrounds were in your school? I think once I got to high school, it was very, uh, there was a lot of diversity. There was a lot of Haitians in High Park. And once I moved to West Roxbury, there was more uh, the, the, the Latino uh, population. So I fit in pretty well wherever I went, basically. Okay. So what was high school? I mean, obviously, you, you went to high school. What did you do in high school besides go to class? Uh, and uh, to be frankly honest, in High Park, uh, there, was a, um, there was a lot of fights. And uh, I always stood up for the – used to get into a lot of fights. Really? <laughs> I used to get into a lot of fights. <laughs> Uh, that was your extracurricular fighting? <laughs> yeah, because uh, not 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 really, but I always stood up for those who couldn't stood up for themselves. Yeah, and that was a family trait uh, from growing up in Haiti. Uh, if if someone was getting abused or any kind of situation where they needed help, I mean, if I couldn't help them, it wouldn't be a good day when I get home. So, so uh, you you were not a passive bystander. Like, correct. You don't need to take the bullying curriculum. Correct. Correct. Yeah. But. You are a fighter, so maybe maybe a little temper, anger management. No. <laughs> That's not a bad thing, right? right. It's a protective yeah. instinct. Correct, and I and I think as I got older, uh, I went to West Roxbury High School. Uh, I learned more to talk to people instead, individuals that do a fighting. I learned more to uh, basically fight with my words. Got it. Instead of physical, right? Communications, de-escalation skills. Absolutely. 
So, did you play any sports in high school? Yes, high school. I was a. I was a. I used to play basketball. Uh, you know, I thought I was good enough to go to college and and, and made something out of it. Uh, it didn't happen, but. <laughs> uh, but that's that's about it. Basketball is always my thing. Soccer, okay. soccer, soccer, and basketball. Yeah. And and I would assume being from Haiti, soccer was more mm-hmm. your your inclination and more natural and more exposure than basketball. Correct. Um, Correct. So, anything else besides sports? Do you any other extracurricular activities? Any, uh, any I, hobbies? Uh, I I think uh, part of the things I've always I've always loved and fascinated is the uh, is the American history. Okay. I love American history, the Civil War. It shows all the cultures within the American uh, uh, foundation. Yeah, we very, s- very very intriguing. We certainly are not homogenous. Right. So you said when you got to high school that you you had to adapt to, I, I want to put words in your mouth, but a new culture, right? Correct. So what was that like? Um, what what did you find the most surprising? What was the hardest transition? I think the hardest thing for me was probably the aggression and in certain individuals. Uh, instead of come uh, together and talk and and. and work out some of uh, the differences especially in kids back when you were 16 15 and i think that probably was the hardest thing and it's not always about because i've been to a lot of different countries and learned different cultures it's not always uh, i know a lot of times people ask me about the language to me it's not really the language it's more about the culture the culture is the important thing the culture really tells you what uh uh basically uh, gives you a little bit of perspective on who you're dealing with so what was your impression of American culture? Uh, it was diversity. People people were different, certain regions. So again, much much less homogenous, you know, people from all over the world, all over the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you said that you, you were kind of surprised by the aggression. Correct. So explain that a little bit. <laughs> uh, I, I think from being a kid uh, at that age, 15, 14, and I think... Uh, you can see it nowadays in public schools. There's a lot of violence going on. Uh, I think that's basically what I mean. Uh, there was a lot of violence compared to, to some of the other places I've been. So when you say other places you've been, give us some examples. Where else did you travel or, or live? Uh, uh, the Dominican Republic, for an example. Uh, and, and so I don't want to put words in your mouth, but, um, you know, I, so we're talking about adolescence mm-hmm. and, you know, your word was aggression, but I mean, we're talking about this this inclination to fight, right? Um, instead of instead of some other coping mechanism, instead of some other problem solving mechanism, correct? And that was surprising to you. You hadn't seen that elsewhere, correct? Okay, bullying and such, basically. Yeah, and so you know this. This is an interesting, co- Lieutenant, you spent years in, you know, our schools as a school resource officer. And I, I think this is something that um, we don't talk about in a, in a ton of detail, but it's something we talk about as like root causes. Um, you know, the, the amount of physical aggression that occurs amongst adolescents is pretty high, right? It's, it's this idea that you can drop your books and go hands on instead of talking something out. No, we we see that daily with our SROs, um, yeah. And you know that's I don't know what the I'm not a psychologist. Right? I, I don't know what the underlying cause of that is, but it's not unique to Pittsfield, uh, but it is fairly unique to this country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so you know 
that's probably a lesson learned that we can take here from Officer Juno, maybe something that we need to take a look at. So you get out of high school. What's your plan when you get out of high school? Uh, after I got out of high school, I've always wanted to be in law enforcement. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't think uh, I didn't think I had the pedigree to make it. Why not? Uh, everyone tells you something different. Uh, some people say the waiting list was, was way too long. You had to wait for a long time, and, and for various reasons, I think I, I didn't think I had a shot. So we didn't get in. At some point along your journey, you became a citizen. When, when was that? It was a long, long time ago. I can't even remember. Like right after you got here? No, it takes years. Okay. The, the, the entire process takes okay. a long time. Were you in high school? Right after high school. I right think. after high school. Yeah, I think okay. right after. So you, you get out of high school, you become an American citizen. Did, so is it the same for, for I should know this, I'm embarrassed that I don't. Is it the same for uh, an adolescent who came up through our high schools as it is for an adult who emigrates here? You have to take the test, like the immigration test to become a citizen? Yes. Okay. I've heard horror stories about that test. No, oh, it's pretty easy. Is it really? It's very easy. Very, they're very helpful. It's very easy. Okay. Well, I'm, uh, well you're pretty smart. Right? <laughs> so if they're, if they're very helpful and you're pretty smart, it would have been easy for you. I've heard that there's native-born Americans who graduated from high schools who couldn't pass that test. Really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but you're a student of U.S. history, so you're probably better off than some of our, uh, our high school graduates. Right. Um, all right. So... You get out of high school, you want to be a police officer, you got some bad information, you don't think you can be a police officer, and then you start what, in my opinion, is perhaps one of the most eclectic and diverse career journeys I have ever seen for a police candidate. So you got some educational aspirations going on on the one hand and some professional aspirations going on on the other hand. So now you're an adult. What are you doing? Uh, I, you know, just like a lot of people, I wanted to have a job. I wanted to have a stable career. So I embark into this journey. Uh, my sisters uh, are nurses from a hospital, so I started going that way. Uh, my cousin's a trooper. Uh, so he's kind of kind of pulled me towards his side as well. And then I took the test, and then uh, I try to stay in shape for the opportunity. Because, you know, I've always believed hard work creates opportunities. Uh, so... Uh, as long as you work hard, someone's going to notice you. And that was always kind of been my thing. Yeah. So you attended a couple different colleges mm -hmm. in a couple different fields. Correct. A couple different majors. So what would you go to school for? Uh, went to school for engineering, uh, nurse, uh, a registered nurse, uh, business, computer tech. And then I end up here. So you've worked in the medical field? Correct. You've worked in the IT field? Correct. I'm missing something. Engineering. Oh, you worked in the engineering, engineering field. Uh, uh, and, and you're an RN. Right? No, no, I'm not. I, I went to that school. Oh, okay. Started the program. Right. Um, and at some point you, correct, because I'm going from memory here, but correct me if I'm wrong. At some point you ended up in the medical field doing like IT work too, right? Correct. I ended up at the, at the hospital in Everett, the okay. Lincoln Hospital. What would you do there? Uh, I work in the, in the lobby. Uh, patient uh, doing stuff with patient when they come in and stuff like intakes and intakes yeah. yes how long did you do that for I think nearly five years right. while I go into nursing school so at some point you decide you're, you're cut wait a minute so I didn't ask you this how many sisters do you have two do you have any brothers one okay what, what they're here yes what do they do 
uh, sisters are nurses, and uh, one of my cousins with the MSB. My brother is uh, customer service. Okay. So your cousin goes t- is with MSP. He's a trooper, and uh, he pulls you in this direction. So eventually you take the test. Correct. And did you only have to take it once, or did you have to take it multiple times? I took it once, and then I took it. Uh, I think I by the time I took it, I'm on the list, but I was already gotten a call from uh, PPD. And okay. So you take the test. You're going to get on civil service list. You're out working at a hospital in Everett. Correct. Your family is living out outside of Austin. Correct. And then you get a call from Pittsfield. Yep. Had you ever been to Pittsfield? No. Did you ever hear of Pittsfield? No. <laughs> <laughs> so you get that call. I'm 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 just curious. <laughs> so I, I I got the call. And then it was a great opportunity. Uh I went to so many different uh interviews and I remember that day uh, me and my girl, me and my fiance was coming out the coming from a movie, and I was in touch with Lieutenant Madalina and Sergeant Mazio, and I got the text, and then she was like, "Wow, I got a good feeling about this. I got a good feeling about this." And I'm like, "Okay, well, let's just hope so." And the funny thing is, I was training. There's a the Natick uh, High School. There's a track, and I was at that track 1 a.m., 12 a.m. running all the time, and in the morning as well. And there was a police officer from Natick, and so he said he's he used to always stop and watch me run in the morning, and uh, when I start talking about Pittsfield, he said, "Yeah, we have uh, there's a there's a lady that I know, her son works for PPD." Really? Yeah. Who was that? Uh, I think she was referring to Officer Coffee. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, so you get the call, you have a conversation with your fiance, you decide that this might be worth exploring. Mm-hmm. When was the first time you came out to Pittsfield? Yeah, we came out uh, the time that we were doing the physical test. It was like 110 degrees, basically, outside. That was the year we were at Taconic? Yes. Yeah. Right. Um, so that's your first trip out to Pittsfield? Correct. You had no idea where this place was in relation to Boston? No. Did you know that you could drive that far in Massachusetts? No, I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> no idea. When you put it into your GPS and it said three hours, what did you think? Yeah, it was like over two hours. I'm like, oh, my God, is this still in Massachusetts? Where am I going? <laughs> so I kept driving, and then the exit two, the long exit was like 30-something miles. It's 32 miles, miles between yeah. the exits. It's not exit two anymore. Wait. Yeah, right. You've been up there? Yeah. It's the going so, by mile marker now, right? Yes. This is a complete digression, but so I had to take that training trip a couple weeks ago. I get up onto the pike. My my phone navigator says, you know, stay on the pike for 180, 18 miles until exit. I don't even know what it said. 97. Like, There's only 14 exits. Right? <laughs> I would be in Boston. And I had completely forgotten about that. And I also, because of the pandemic, hadn't been on the pike. And so when they made that switch, I thought that they were supposed to leave both versions of the signs up for a little while to avoid confusing old guys like me. Yeah, I missed this. I missed that. They took all the old markers down. So purely relying on my GPS. I knew what the exit looked like. I just didn't know which exit number it was. All right. So So I'm going to be a little defensive here. A two-hour commute, I mean, that's normal. That's how long it takes to get from Boston to Quincy in the rush hour, right? right? right, Exactly. (laughs) That's a good way to put it, yeah. It's not the duration. It's the length, right? I'd rather be moving. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No. So, I mean, we can laugh about this because we have to, right? Our counterparts from out east, um, they they have no idea. And I I don't think I've told this. Oh, we've been going too long. You didn't stop me. 
Let's we, do, we were on a, a roll. All right, let's do our station break, station identification, another check of the weather, PSAs, and we'll come back and we'll continue this conversation because this is fascinating. WTBR radar weather for the Pittsfield area. Winter storm warning in effect until 2 a.m. EDT Saturday. Today, snow or rain. Total snow accumulation of 4 to 6 inches. Highs around 40. North wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Chance of precipitation near 100%. Tonight, mostly cloudy. Rain likely or a chance of snow in the evening, then a chance of snow after midnight. Little or no additional snow accumulation. Lows in the mid-30s. Northwest wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. Chance of precipitation 60%. Weather forecasts for WTBRFM are provided by the National Weather Service. Hi, this is Officer Darren Derby with the Pittsfield Police Department. Folks, unfortunately, drug use is a driving factor for a lot of crime taking place in our city. The most prevalent crime being theft. Please, take the extra time to ensure that your belongings are safe inside your vehicle. Do not leave anything of value in plain sight. Hide your belongings. Place them in your trunk or take anything of value out of the vehicle. Always keep your vehicle locked. Don't make it easy for them. This message is brought to you by the Pittsfield Police Department in cooperation with WTBR-FM. Support for WTBR comes from Greylock Federal Credit Union. Proud to support high school arts and sports programs to help our community thrive. Greylock Federal, with locations throughout the Berkshires and online at greylock.org. And from BeFair. BeFair is one of the largest premier human service agencies in Berkshire County. If you're looking for services for a loved one or are interested in caring for the people we support, visit BeFair.org today for available opportunities. Hi, this is Chief Michael Wynn of the Pittsfield Police Department. And Lieutenant Gary Traversa. The Pittsfield Police Department is encouraging anyone interested in becoming a Pittsfield Police Officer to register for the 2021 Municipal Police Officer Exam. As a civil service department, this is the first step required to join our team. We are seeking motivated, eligible individuals who desire a rewarding and adventure-filled career serving the residents of Pittsfield. Detailed application information is available on the web at mass.gov backslash civil service. The application deadline is April 20th with a late registration window open until May 4th. Exam fees range from $100 to $200. Candidates who pass the exam are placed on the eligible list and ranked by score. The Pittsfield Police Department will use that list to fill vacant positions in 2021 and 2022. So take the first step in joining the Pittsfield Police Department by going to mass.gov backslash civil service. So, Chief, when, before we get going again, in case, because I have a feeling we'll kind of run out of time at the end, um, this, this is such a good conversation. Um, I, I just want to, again, reiterate the PSA that everybody just heard. Four more days to sign up for the civil service test. Take uh, the test. Um, anybody that is considering it or, you know, hemming and hawing, unsure if it's for them, it only comes around every two years. Pittsfield is a civil service department. If you have any interest in law enforcement, um, and you know you, you live in Pittsfield especially, but Berkshire County, any any of the other you know areas surrounding the Berkshires where you know Pittsfield is a you know where where you spend time or where you you come to do your shopping or you have family, uh, take the take the test, um, you know. Give it a shot, and uh, you know we just would love to 
to build our our candidate pool um you know we need to to build up the ranks here and um you know again civil service test only comes around every two years don't say next time no definitely if you're eligible take the test and we should say that uh because the dispatch vacancy posting is still open correct it is so in addition to police officers we have one current vacancy for a full-time emergency telecommunications operations dispatcher today is the final day of public safety emergency telecommunications week thank you to our dispatchers also animal control officer week right yes i forgot about that too um yeah so you know thank you to our dispatchers uh call takers um they are the the first line of communication in many cases for our police and fire and ems calls and uh they are the they are the calm voice in the dark on that other end of the radio right um so we couldn't do what we do without them uh and we are we talk about our animal control officers constantly we love our animal control officers as well so thank you to them as well thank a dispatcher thank an aco uh and sign up for the test. Sign up for the test. <laughs> and but on that topic, we're also still uh, looking to, we're exploring how to do it, our uh, crisis clinician program. We received some applications for um, those contract positions. We did some interviews, but that's still open as well. Uh, so if you're not interested in frontline law enforcement, but you are interested in crisis response to psychological uh, or mental health emergencies, uh, contact the personnel or HR office in City Hall because they've got some information on that as well. So, all right, cool. So I'm going to finish telling the story that we're telling, and then we'll get back to Officer Jumo. So we talk about people from the eastern part of the state and how they don't know how the, you know, what the state actually is or where the borders are. And I don't think I've told this story on the air before, but I have told this story uh, in the command staff and in training. So Officer Gaynor, uh, our training officer, uh, and, and I, we got a message it had to be 2019 it was definitely pre-pandemic it might have even been 2018 but we had to go to the western mass academy our academy which at the time was you know fully headquartered at springfield technical community college we had to go down for a train the trainer and i don't even remember what the topic was um but it had to be either fair and impartial policing or procedural justice because oh no it had to be icat uh, integration integrating communications assessment and tactics because the instructors who you know these are guys that you know, I've, I've come to really admire and like and i consider them friends but they were both captains in the chelsea police department uh, both of whom have since uh, gone on to become chiefs of police elsewhere i think chief Connolly just got a new job i think i saw it this morning i think he's in salem uh so these guys we're at stick getting ready for this train the trainer and we're there in our seats at the time it's supposed to start, whatever, right? So it's, it's an hour-plus drive for us to get there and get there on time, and we're in our seats on time. And the instructors aren't there. And so the you know, academy coordinator's coming in, and they're saying, we just talked to them, and they apologize, they're late, blah, blah, blah. So they come in, and they weren't quite an hour late. But, but they were late, right? I mean, it, 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 they were not we, – we were, like, well into our second coffee break. And so they come and they were apologetic. They got it. But essentially the story they told us was that they had gone, um, they'd been talking, these are partners that came up together. They'd been talking the night before about their travel plans. And one of the guys says to the other, you know, we got to get on the road at like, you know, whatever it was, 5.30, 6 a.m. The other guy's like, no, we're, we're going to Western Mass Academy. He's like, yeah, we're going to Western Mass Academy. He goes, well, that can't be more than, you know, 50, 60 minutes. It's in Worcester, right? 
Like, like this. And, and, I mean, I love the guy, right? But he's an educated, highly, highly trained police officer. And in his mind, Worcester was Western Mass. And so as typical, if you've got this idea in your head, even if your partner says, I'm going to be in your driveway at 530, quarter to six, if you think it's only a 45, 50 minute drive, you know, you're dragging your feet. And so they actually got on the road at like 630, 645. And now the traffic is filled in in Worcester, right? So you can't make it through exit 10 in a timely fashion and so these guys thought you know you could drive anywhere in the commonwealth in 50 or 60 minutes and now they find out that they're going to be late because they're stuck in morning traffic coming east or coming west so they're telling this story and i just looked at this it's like there's a whole nother hour west of here we we came an hour to get here and he's like you're making that up there's not another part of the commonwealth like yeah there's actually a whole nother third of the state man (laughs) so um speaking of traveling if, if you need to go, and I, I know you know this, if you need to go anywhere in the state and you need to know like how long it's going to take you mm-hmm. and because of the traffic patterns, mm-hmm. Officer Gaynor will tell you exactly what time you need to leave. Oh, yeah. Wow. And how you need to go. She is by far the most traveled member of our department. Yeah. I, I travel a lot, but I don't have anything on her. <laughs> <laughs> and to places that I didn't know existed. Yeah. So... Yeah. All right. Back to Officer Jumo. So you make that drive out here for that horrifically hot physical abilities test. Right. Did you have to make that drive alone or did your fiance come with you? No, I, I, I was by myself on this. Okay. So you make the drive out here. You pass that test. Right. Then you got to turn around and go back home, right? Exactly. <laughs> Which must have been a really uncomfortable day because that was hot. It was hot. Yeah. All right, so now you I, now tell me about how this comes. You get home and you're talking to your fiance, and you're like, "I had to drive twice of forever right. to like the western frontier of God knows where mm-hmm. just to take the test," mm-hmm. and you still thought this was a good idea. Yeah, the, uh, my <laughs> mentality throughout this entire process was opportunity. Okay, it was an opportunity. I. The time factor didn't matter to me, whether it was 10 hours. It, it just didn't matter at all. And the way I saw it is it was an opportunity that, that was given, presented. I earned it. And, you know, nothing was going to stop me. So. How many other departments were in communication with you during this time? Uh, I had a place in uh, Connecticut. I forgot exactly the name of the town. But it was Connecticut, uh, I think Rhode Island was at the same time and then i think the same the same day that uh i received a conditional offer and i had the meeting with you i think that same day on my way home i got a letter from from natick okay right, my hometown so why'd you pick us uh the opportunity in natick was basically a per diem opportunity and i wasn't gonna quit my previous job and go to the academy and and work twice a month that okay that, yeah that was a better opportunity in pittsfield and i'm glad and to this day, I feel like I made the right decision. Yeah, Chief Hicks, Jimmy, I'm sorry. Your loss, our game. <laughs> <laughs> I made the right decision. It's a great opportunity here in Pittsfield. Anyone listening, uh, uh, bought a place and beautiful house in, in Lee. And just to serve the Pittsfield community has truly been an honor. So you're living in Lee? Yes, sir. What's that like? Uh, Lee, it's very close to Pittsfield. It's about 12 minutes where I live. Yeah. The, the, the borderline of Lenox and... Uh, uh, it's a great town, great town, great community, great school. I know many officers have their kids go to the same uh, school as my kid does. So, yep. 
Lee has changed dramatically in the last 40 years. I went to, I went to school for one year in Lee. Um, let's just say there wasn't anybody else that looked like me at that point in time. Zero. <laughs> Oh, um, all right. So you've been with us for God with the academy and field training. You got to be coming up on what two years now? Two years, yes, yeah. sir. Um, and you, so when we were on the station break, you were talking a little bit. I mean, obviously, you you, cert, you fi- finished field training, yes, sir. Very well, field training, certified for solo patrol, yes, sir. Uh, you've uh, actually made a name for yourself within the patrol ranks because of your skill with languages. I was just reading a, uh, it's actually a fairly dated report. It goes back to early in your field training where you had to interview somebody um, on on a previous domestic, right? Patrol rolled in, I think it was in Burbank Park. Patrol rolled into Burbank Park on a domestic where everybody was a native Spanish speaker and couldn't sort it out. And we had to reassign the case for investigation. You ended up interviewing one of the victims. Um, but you were talking to, uh, on the uh, station break with Lieutenant Traversa about the fact that one of the m- more enjoyable aspects for the job for you as a patrol officer hasn't been law enforcement, right? It, it hasn't been the actual going out there and doing criminal investigations and, and apprehension work. So talk a little bit about what you've been doing with Officer Derby. As far as law enforcement goes, I enjoy everything about law enforcement, uh, the investigation, uh, the opportunity to uh, provide people with perspective and also working with Officer Derby as far as reaching out to the community, uh, you know, talking to kids, uh, as far as showing them that we are human uh, without the uniform and taking pictures with kids and, and talking to them. Just let them see the humanity side of law enforcement, uh, that we are people. And it's been great. Uh, I've worked, I've worked many details at, uh, at the Big Y and I, it's just the amount of love that I've been getting from especially small kids with the, with the dads and their moms stopping by trying to shake my hand and, and so forth, telling me how much they wish they want to be police officers. That's awesome. Right. We got we to gotta get like back to in-person programming so we can grab some of those kids and get them in the Explorer mm-hmm. post. Um, so I was listening to a podcast yesterday. Uh, um, I was actually listening to the Jocko podcast with Commander Jocko Willink, and he was interviewing Dakota Meyer. You guys know who Dakota Meyer is? No, sir. So Dakota Meyer is a Marine. He's a Medal of Honor winner. Um, he was uh, involved in a horrific action in Afghanistan. His, his Medal of Honor citation is, uh, it, it reads like a horror story. Um, and so the, the actually the, the podcast started and ended uh, with a narrative about Colonel Whittlesley uh, from the Lost Battalion in World War One, who was from Pittsfield. He he was uh, World War. I, he's also a Medal of Honor winner. Uh, he grew up on Pomeroy Ave, and he was a Harvard-educated lawyer uh, who led the Lost Battalion in World War One, and for his actions was awarded the Medal of Honor. And so they were uh, doing a comparison between uh, Colonel Whittlesley and. Uh, Corporal Meyer and they got to the end and so most Medal of Honor winners like that's it right that that becomes their career they become speakers and and they write books or whatever he's written a couple books but he took a different path and he was like I I don't want that to define me I I don't want to be known as Dakota Meyer the Medal of Honor winner and so last year during the pandemic um when he had some downtime because he couldn't travel he couldn't speak he went through the process in Texas to become a paramedic and a firefighter uh, and so he's been doing some 
per diem work, part-time work. He, he was a paid uh, paid firefighter for uh, part of last year, and then he was traveling again, so now he's on-call as a um, on-call volunteer firefighter. And he was talking about um, his perception about first responders, police, fire, EMS. And so this is a guy who was in some of the most horrific combat action in Afghanistan and has been internationally recognized for it. And he's like, listen... What I saw in Afghanistan doesn't compare to what I saw in six months riding on an engine or riding in a rig in American communities. Um, the, the poverty, the devastation, the substance abuse, the overdoses, the suicides. He's like, I only had to like survive that one fight. These people, police, firefighters, EMS, they're doing it every day, right? 365 days a year minus time off and vacation for 20, 25, 30, 32 years. Um, and so it, it was interesting to hear somebody who, you know, we look at we look at these military heroes and say, wow, you know, that's what we aspire to. This guy's like, no, I just I want to be one of them. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. um, so it was it was interesting to hear that. But it, the, the reason I shared that story is he he kept saying that, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what uniform or what brand, you know, what service you're in, police, fire or EMS. At the end of the day, you take that uniform off, you go home, you're just a person. Right. You're, you're not a, a trained robot. You're a person. You get up the next day. You have family issues. You have concerns about your kids. You have loved ones. You have people who are sick or, or dealing with something else. You put your badge back on. You go in. You do it for 8, 10, 12 hours. You take it off. You go home. You're a person again, right? Uh, and you just keep that cycle up. So, you know, the humanity and emphasizing the, the individuals and their individual accomplishments, we, we can't. We can't do that enough, right? And I was thinking on the ride in here, I actually need to like spend a little time with Officer Derby because one of the things that Officer Derby does for us, and we've talked about it on the program, you said taking some of the pictures with the children. Um, you know, he's it, he's great at capturing those moments of humanity and sharing them with the public. His, his social media game is on point. And I thought about it after we were up at the Armory Tuesday for the recruiting thing. I worked patrol last Friday at a... Uh, public meeting on monday was at the armory with you on tuesday had a coffee with a cop on wednesday was at the funeral on friday i didn't take a single picture or put up a single post not one right i'll go back out on patrol today and if i don't like schedule something in my calendar i'll forget to do it again so. yeah you know i was thinking that you know being up at the armory the other day um that i didn't take any pictures not one we were there for three hours <laughs> yeah. not a single picture right <laughs> I get home just, and I'm sitting on my couch and I'm looking in the sheriff's department. Like they got picture after picture after picture and video. I'm like, man, we're bad at this. <laughs> we really are. Okay, so we got a few minutes left. Um, you working day shift? Yes. Right? Um, was that your choice, or did you did you bid the days, or did you bid somewhere else and get pushed to days? No, I kind of wanted to do. Uh, at first, I was thinking about doing nights. And uh, after I spoke with Officer Steinmans, you know, he provided me great perspective. He worked days, he works nights, and he told me that I could learn a lot from working days, you know, better opportunity to interact with the community and to know the people that I'm dealing with, the people I'm serving. So I don't, so that, that what you just said about better opportunity to interact with the community, I don't think that most people who have never been in, in law enforcement, definitely, um, definitely in public safety, but I think law enforcement in particular, can appreciate the stark difference between some of our shifts. And so when I came on the job, uh, like most of us, I got pushed to 
midnights, right? You're junior, and that's generally where you started. Uh, you're supposed to kind of put in your time and pay your dues on midnights. And then through reasons that had nothing to do with me, uh, it just happened to be we had a bunch of people who were senior, and they were going back to school, and they needed some more flexibility in their schedule. So they in mass bid the midnights, and that pushed a bunch of us elsewhere. And so I quickly, much more quickly than anybody would have anticipated, ended up on evenings. And I ended up on evenings with a pretty um, motivated, hard-charging group of, of young officers that are just a couple years senior to me. And we were putting up some really good work. We were doing some amazing stuff, like really pro proactive. Um, now, I'm not going to say zero tolerance because it wasn't about that, but like inter- um, making some good drug cases, making some good quality of life cases. We're doing some really good work. But when you work, you know, after about 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, if you work the evening shift, the work changes, right? So between like 4 o'clock and, and 8 o'clock, it's kind of community-oriented and you're doing the type of stuff you've been talking about. When the sun goes down, the work shifts. And so halfway through your shift, you, you kind of, you know, you, there's a... Um, it, it, you just, you, you become more externally focused i guess is is what it is and so then within like a year and a half because of some other personal change i got pushed to days so i i didn't have five years on and now i'm on the day shift which is where you know young police officers went to retire and die <laughs> and uh so i'm i'm on my first sunday day shift and it gets to be about 12 31 o'clock and i see a kid walking down the street and in my mind based on my conditioning they're like mm -hmm. What's he doing here? Why is he here? Why doesn't he have any parents? And I'm getting ready to roll up on this kid and start questioning. I'm like, it's Sunday at 1230. <laughs> there's, there's nothing wrong with a child, you know. And uh, it, But in my mind, halfway through the shift, you, you, you shifted gears. And it, it took me a long time to realize that on days, you're just dealing with normal, normal people going about their day-to-day -day activity, right? On midnights, that's very rare. And on evenings, it's only about half the work. But on days, it's constant. But that doesn't mean... The days isn't busy. Right? Well, I, I think it's switched a little bit too, though. You know, from you know, obviously, twenty six years ago. Yeah, years ago. It's. Mm -hmm. I mean, days. I mean, think about a day back then. Oh yeah. Compared to what days is doing now. It, and I mean, what you're talking about is every type of of call for service or every type of crime that you could think of that would occur on any other shift also occurs on days. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and sometimes much. M much more because there's just more people more active and more alert and awake right so you know a, a fight that might have occurred late in the shift on the evening shift that today might involve six or eight people if it occurs late on a friday afternoon might have 25 or 30 people right so all right so with the brief couple minutes we have left what are you looking forward to most you got you got a couple months left before your uh probation <laughs> uh well, uh, for anyone looking, uh, this is not scripted, to work for the PPD. Uh, and I think it's a great, great place to work. Uh, and um, I'm thankful for this opportunity to work with all the supervisors. There's so much help, uh, so many smart people in the department. Uh, so you would not be making uh, uh, a bad choice. It's a great place to work. I'm, I'm having fun. Uh, I've been overblown by the amount of love and support that I've received from my department. And, uh, you know, it, it makes me feel great to, to get up with a uniform, serve the community, and uh, interact with my peers and my super the supervisors as well. Nobody is going to believe that we didn't put you up to that. <laughs> not, not a single person is going to believe that. I know, that. I know. Uh, but I appreciate that. I appreciate your, your honesty and your sincerity. Mm -hmm. 
So you've got a, a long career ahead of you. Where do you, where do you see yourself going? What do you want to do in law enforcement? Uh, I like I like so many things about law enforcement right now. Everything is so new, everything is so great, and uh, I, I love traffic. Okay. Uh, I try to pick Sergeant uh, Madalena's brain as much as I can. Sometimes I make I make uh, you know trying to make small chat and trying to pick his brain, see what he would do in certain situations versus different different stuff. There's just so much to learn in law enforcement, and uh, it takes time. <laughs> did, did I copy you on that email yesterday about the traffic unit? Uh, I don't think so. So I, I'm not even going to say what the source of it. So I got an email, uh, and it, it basically was a speeding complaint. And and those are fairly common, right? We get speeding complaints all the time. Um, but the question inserted in the middle of the email was, do you have information or best practices about you know speed calming efforts in a residential neighborhood? And I, I read it, and I, first, I got it first thing in the morning, and I read it, and I reread it, and I'm like, here we go again, right? So... Look, I'm, I'm a, I'm the chief of police. I have a pretty diverse background. Most of my background is in in training and tactics, but I don't I don't purport, and I have never purported to be an expert in everything, and I've never worked traffic, right? I've never worked traffic, just like I've never worked long term investigations. I've never worked in a school, so I'm not the person to ask that question. Now that doesn't mean that you can't direct a question at me, but if you're gonna ask me specifically to answer the question, like, well, I'm gonna give you an expert, and in this case, it was Sergeant Madalena. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how to answer that question. I've never done that. I said, and I can go ask the sergeant, but if I do that, then it's subject to interpretation and I'm going to make a mistake. How about I just let you ask the sergeant? <laughs> and uh, you know, it just it infuriates me when people don't want to talk to our subject matter experts. Right? They're like, well, you're the chief. I want to talk to you. Okay, great, but I can't answer your question. Right. There are things that I'm very good at. There are things I don't know anything about. I have people for that. Right. Um, so I'm going to put you in touch with the expert. In this case, my expert, Sergeant Madalena. He's got phenomenal experience in training in traffic calming measures. And he's got some pretty creative ideas about ways we should do that. And he's done some of them. Um, remember the thing that he did out on West Street when he had the kids make the signs? Yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> he had the kids made the speed enforcement si- or the speed limit signs. We've never had better compliance with speed on that set- stretch of road. And we didn't have to write any tickets. Right. So we get that a lot with the uh, media inquiries where, you know, they're, they're asking questions and we need to reach out to our subject, subject matter experts, experts. Uh, those other officers that are working, yeah. you know, on that shift maybe or in that unit. And, you know, it, there, there's, there's a little bit of a process there and i think the perception is well this is the email we send media inquiries to and you should have the answers yeah we're omnipotent we all know everything right (laughs) yeah so we have 20 seconds left officer jumo thanks for joining us this morning i really appreciate it this has been fascinating thank you before we leave i just want to congratulate you chief on your new position thank you well deserved i think i think thank you we'll see how that works out (laughs) five seconds left thanks for tuning in We'll see you next week for another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM. We're 10-8.